0: podcast sorry it took so long to post another podcast' it is not my intention to wait this long but sometimes life gets in the way sap yeah, might sound a little stuffy uh, I basically spent uh, the past couple days pretty much out of it um, so I'm getting over a little something so if I sound a little stuffy that's why but anyways uh, so this week uh, I'm gonna talk about sauces and more specifically, We're going to really kind of focus in on uh, what we call the five leading sauces or mother sauces. Uh, I thought this was a good transition from last week's podcast where I talked about stocks and how stocks could be the base of um, some of the sauces that we might be making. So um, sauces uh, is to me the the next smartest topic to move on to. So that's what we're going to talk about this week. Uh, So soft, sauces uh, are interesting. People kind of just kind of overlook them or they're just, you know, this little thing on the plate that goes along with the meat or whatever. But sauces, um, they're quite challenging. Uh, and they can really be, uh, you can really tell a lot about a cook with how their final sauce turns out. Um, it's funny, I was looking through uh, the professional chef uh, book that they use at the Culinary Institute of America and I was reading about sauces and uh, they have a little excerpt from there it says uh, sauces are often considered one of the greatest tests of a chef's skill the, the successful pairing of a sauce with a food demonstrates technical expertise an understanding of the food and the ability to judge and evaluate dishes flavors textures and colors and I couldn't agree with that more Um, You know, as cooks and chefs, we learn over time and we develop develop skills and we have a repertoire uh, and we come to learn that sauces uh, can really, sometimes they can make or break a dish uh, and doing sauces correctly and getting the right consistency and the flavor and everything that you're looking for, it can be a challenge. And then more importantly is matching up sauces with what you're going to be serving them with. Um, sometimes it makes sense that the sauce, you know, has the same flavor profile as what you're serving with, but sometimes the sauce may have a completely different profile. Um, as I'll give some examples here in a little, in a little while when we talk about the uh, get more into the sauces a little bit. So, Definitely, uh, sauces, um, really, you can really tell, like I said, if somebody knows what they're talking about by the way they make sauces. And then, of course, you know, I went back to Le Guide Culinaire uh, by Escoffier and reread a little bit about what he had to say about sauces. And, of course, he says sauces represent one of the most important components of cookery. It is they that have inspired and sustained the universal predominance of the French cuisine. It is therefore impossible to devote too much care and attention to their preparation. So as you can see here by Escoffier, just how important they are. That you cannot spend too much time on creating a sauce that's going to be going with whatever you're serving. Um, And then, you know, we're talking about French cuisine. I mean, you know, you look at a lot of the entrees that are served are going to have some sauce or some component Uh, similar to a sauce on the plate so it just goes to show how very important uh, sauces are and quite honestly depending on where you're working at usually the sauces you know could be made by somebody who is a little bit has a little bit more experience uh, in the kitchen Uh, you know you look at the brigade system you know, you have somebody called the saucier who is specifically in charge of sauces and sauté items. And generally, you know, that would be somebody who had the most experience, one of your most talented cooks in the kitchen. A lot of times, you know, uh, somebody who would do the saucier station may get promoted to, you know, a some kind of management position, you know, kind of a sous chef in training if you want to say. Um, so definitely sauces are real important. Um, you know, sauces, obviously, since people have been eating, we've probably had sauces in one form or another, whether, you know, it'd be something like condiments, um, you know, you think about Roman times, um, you know, they had a lot of condiments, you know, things with mustards and, um, you know, vinegars and, um, Verjus, which is basically like a a juice from uh, unripe grapes or sometimes crab apples. Um, You know, in that time, sauces played a role. um, But, you know, depending on how things were, also sauces were there to actually mask, you know, maybe a foul-smelling meat um, or to cover up, you know, something that was a little outdated, uh, you know, this could, this happened even in mid- medieval times. I mean, they would use sauces, real thick, heavy sauces, and they would cover the entire plate in this sauce just to, uh, kind of cover ever you know, maybe cover up something that was going bad or, or whatever. So, um, I mean, I'm sure sauces were used to complement as well in that time, but it just goes to show that sauces had another, Uh, you know, purpose besides uh, just accompaniment uh, a dish. And then, uh, you know, I've talked a little bit about Escoffier uh, in the last one, my last podcast, but there's also another very famous chef to be familiar with, Antoine Carême. Um, You know, this is someone who's born in the late 1700s. Uh, you know, if you if you read about the history of, of this chef, really had a tough beginning. He was put out in the street by his family at a very at an early age because they had too many kids and they couldn't afford to have so many kids. So, you know, right off the bat, he started off on a, a you know on a bad note. Uh, fortunately, he was able to find a pastry chef who took him in and kind of took him under his wing, and he began to learn the trade and kind of worked his way. Um, kind of up the ranks and eventually, you know, became that type of person that, you know, he was wanted as a chef by the kings in that time. And uh, when we look at the history of cuisine, you know, he's kind of credited with starting what we call haute cuisine or grand cuisine. Um, And the reason I bring up Karem is he was the first person to actually somewhat classify four different sauces, uh, which... He called them Alamand, bechamel, espanol, and valute, and, and these will all make sense here as I move along a little bit. But he basically had four sauces, and he came up. He was one of the first person to actually document uh, recipes and and cook, basically making kind of basically making cookbooks, and you know so that the average person could go home and try to you know um, duplicate what he was doing, you know, at this very high level. Um, And then Escoffier, who I mentioned, um, you know, my last podcast, he actually, you know, he took Karem's work and he basically refined it a little bit and he came into what we now know as the five leading sauces, mother sauces. And this is what we teach uh, in culinary school, um, which I'm going to get to in just a second. Um, So back to sauces in terms of why would we put a sauce on a dish? And, uh, you know, you might think it's simple as, oh, you know, it adds a flavor to the plate. Well, actually, sauces actually have a couple different reasons why you would put them on the plate. Number one, you are introducing other flavors, or you may be complementing the flavor of a dish. You know, when you go out to a steakhouse, sometimes you get a a sauce called a demi-glace, which is basically a half, They call it a half glaze in French, right? Or it's a reduction of a brown stock in half. Um, And uh, why do you get a demi-glaze with your steak? Well, a demi-glaze is made from brown stock, which is made from beef bones. And that beef flavor of the sauce enhances your steak. So sauces can be a complementary addition to the plate. But sauces also can counter what's going on on the plate. Such as if you have a meat on the plate, you may have something with a more acidic flavor in it, all right, and that acidic flavor kind of counteracts the flavor of the meat, um, helps to maybe balance out the plate a little bit. And with the acidity in the sauce, it actually helps to create saliva, which helps in digestion of the meat later on. You know, so there's one of the reasons we have sauces. Number two, sauces also can add moisture. You know, think about when we cook at home or even go out to eat sometimes. Some people overcook meats. Chicken, chicken breast is a very, very easy one to overcook. Imagine eating an overcooked chicken breast, right? How it's just missing that moisture, right? It's just no fun to eat. So by adding a sauce onto something um, that is very lean, like chicken breasts or, or pork or something along those lines, it can help add moisture and make the meat much more enjoyable to eat. Um, Sauces also can add a visual interest uh, to the plate uh, such as colors. You know, you think about, oh, I don't know, a a piece of white fish and then you have a red coulis sauce underneath it, a red pepper coulis sauce underneath it. Well, you have a balance of colors on the plate, which looks nice. Or if you have something a little bit that's a little bit on the drier side when it's presented, you put a nice little coat of sauce over the top of it. It adds a nice sheen or shine to the meat. Right? makes it look a little bit more appealing and then sometimes sauces can help adjust textures on the plate if you have something very crunchy such as oh I don't know maybe a crab cake or something uh, maybe you have a nice smooth sauce under underneath it and that way you have different textures on the plate which can be uh, which can be uh, much more appealing to whoever is eating uh, the plate um, so When we think about sauces, right, generally, not always, but generally, sauces are really two main components. A liquid, a thickener. And then, of course, you may have some seasoning in there. Okay, so your liquid could be stock, could be many different things. Your thickener could be many different things as well. Um, The thickener that we use in commercial kitchens A lot of times is roux and if you don't know what roux is roux is basically nothing more than the combination of equal parts by weight of fat and flour and generally when we make roux it's made out of butter and flour so you take three ounces of butter three ounces of flour put it together in a pan and you cook it all right and what happens is you create a thickener. You have these starch granules in the flour. And once those starch granules hit the liquid, they begin to absorb some of the liquid, and they begin to swell up and take up more space. And basically, we call that gelatinization. And basically, when it takes up more space, there's less space for the liquid, so the sauce becomes thickener, Thick, becomes thickener. Um, and then you know, when you cook roux, there, we, we have three stages of roux that we generally use in the kitchen. The f- basically, if you put it together and you cook it for a very short time, just enough to get the raw flour out, flavor out of it, that's called a white roux. Cooked real quick, uh, pretty quickly and basically when we make a white sauce, we put a white roux in it. If you cook it a little bit further, starts to get just a little bit of a peanut nutty smell to it. That's called a blonde roux. And we use that in more of what we call like an ivory colored sauce. And then if you take it even further, you have what's called a brown roux. And that's where you really cook it so that it gets a deep, dark flavor to it, real strong, nutty aroma. And that's what we would use generally in our brown sauces. just remember, the longer you cook a roux, the less strengthening power that it actually has. So you would need more brown roux than you would white roux. There is one more roux. We don't really use it as a thickener. It's called a brick roux or red roux, and that's what you would find in uh, gumbo. Okay, now, you know, We're, our generation here, our society is beginning to look at more healthier options. So roux is definitely not one of the healthiest options we have out there. Um, Another way you could thicken a sauce is possibly use um, cornstarch or arrowroot. All right, cornstarch, pretty easy to use. You know, you add a little water with the cornstarch, you make what we call slurry. You add that in while it's nice and hot. And uh, you get a little bit of thickness from it. And arrowroot is the same thing. The only good thing about arrowroot is that arrowroot will not change the color of your sauce when you add it in, versus cornstarch will make it a lighter color. You know, there's other ways that you can thicken. Um, in the old days, I might use bread, right, or rice. Rice was used to thicken soups, but it could be, you know, could have been used. Um, you know, to thicken as well. Um, we can also add in what we call a liaison. A liaison is basically uh, egg yolks and cream mixed together. That could used to be thickened. That you'd put in at the end um, as well. Alright. So, now that we know a little bit about sauces and what they are and the components of them, now we get into what we, the five leading or mother sauces. So, what we teach, and what you'll find in a lot of commercial kitchens anybody who knows the, the five leading sauces, we call them bechamel, espagnole, tomato, hollandaise, and velouté. Those are the five leading sauces. And how I teach to the students to remember it is remember the lady's name, Beth V. Beth V. B. Bechamel, E. Espanol, T. Tomato, H. Hollandaise, V. Veloute. Now let's break these down here one by one. The bechamel family. Bechamel is a white sauce. In bechamel, its two main components are either milk or cream, and then we add a white roux into it. Along with that, you can add some seasoning first one is called an onion piquet, which is basically an onion. And then you stud it, right, or you put little pieces of cloves in the onion along with a bay leaf. And then you can also add a little pinch of nutmeg in there. Basically, you would pretty much add that all together and cook it until it starts to thicken a little bit. Um, you know, you can warm up the milk and you could add in um, of the roux, which is you know, a good way to do it, but you got to make sure the roux is not too hot. Otherwise, it might not incorporate uh, correctly. Um, And then the reason that Escoffier created, and even Carem, created these five leading sauces was a lot of the sauces that they made in the kitchen were all based off of these five leading sauces, right? So if you were to make macaroni and cheese... Well, the base of that is a cheese sauce. So in order to make that cheese sauce, I'm going to start with my bechamel sauce. Once I have my bechamel made, all I got to do is add in some grated cheese, maybe a little Worcestershire, a little pinch of mustard, mix that all up together. And now I've taken my bechamel and I've created a small sauce. So from the five leading sauces, you get many different derivatives or small sauces based off of these five leading sauces that's why they're called the five leading sauces so once you understood those five leading sauces by adding in other ingredients you can create small sauces based off of them Um, another one from bechamel is called nantua and basically you would add in crawfish butter paprika and then you add a little bit of actual diced crawfish meat into it and some of the a lot of these sauces here are Kind of old-school sauces you find in Guide Culinaire. You probably wouldn't find them so often now in restaurants, um, but it's always good to know them. So that's bechamel. So that's milk or cream and a white roux. The second one is velouté. This is an ivory-colored sauce, so we use a white stock and we use a blonde roux. Um, There's different types of white stock we could use. That could be a fish stock, that could be a chicken stock, or we could do a white veal stock. So as we talked about last week, you roast the bones if you're making a brown veal stock. But for a white veal stock, you would not roast the bones. Okay, and then once we have our stock figured out, we have our blonde roux, we put it together. From there, we can create many different small sauces or derivatives. Um, and you can even take it one step further, um, a supreme sauce is made with chicken stock and cream, or an allemande sauce is made with chicken or veal stock, and you would add in a liaison and lemon. So those are like sub-sauces based from the velouté leading sauce. And this is where things can get real confusing for students. but. The best thing to remember here is just the velouté family. That's your white stock and your uh, blonde roux. So you have your ivory colored sauce. Our next one, one of the most classic sauces dating back many, many years. And that would be the Espanol. That's our brown sauce. Okay, an Espanol comes from brown stock. And then we add in brown roux and cook it. And then we have Espanol. Espanol, not used so often in today's cooking, but when you look at many classic cookbooks from Escafier's time, even Creme, going back that far, you will find Espanol used in many, many uh, aspects. Um, Espanol, you can take Espanol and add different things in. You come up with a lot of different sauces. Uh, probably one of the most, well, probably the most popular sauce based off of Espanol would be demi-glace, which I mentioned a little earlier. And demi-glace, eh, demi in French means half. So you have a half glaze. Basically, you make a batch of Espanol, right? Add in equal uh, equal part of brown stock and you reduce that down by half and you end up with uh, demi-glace. the demi-glace is, you know, made a little bit differently. Maybe in some places, basically, sometimes you would just take a uh, Espanol, and reduce that uh, down. Or you may just take veal stock and really reduce that down. And you know you have a nice, clean demi-glace with no thickener in it. It all depends. Another popular sauce from Espanol is called bordelais. And that's basically where you would add red wine, some shallots, some spices, and in the classic version, poached bone marrow. Um, but you'll see Bordelais on some menus and basically what chefs do is they reduce red wine with shallots, maybe some uh, fresh thyme, maybe a bay leaf, reduce down that red wine, then they would add their Espanol or their glace over that and you have a really nice sauce that goes excellent with, um, you know, roasts or steaks, something like that. Another one that's popular in culinary school, not very popular in restaurants, maybe every now and then you might see it, it's called Chasseur sauce. And uh, also known as the hunter sauce. Goes really good with um, chicken. Um, And basically, you would take your Espanol and into that you would add in some sautéed mushrooms, some white wine, maybe a little bit of brandy and some tomatoes. And cook that for a little bit. And then you would put that over a nice piece of chicken or something like that. Really, really excellent sauce. Alright, so that's Espanol. And then we have our tomato sauce family. So... Uh, the classic version of tomato sauce made by Escoffier actually included tomatoes and also included uh, roux and chicken stock in it. Today, most tomato sauces are made differently. Um, you don't see a roux in there. Um, and usually, when it comes to thickness, the thickness actually comes from the tomatoes themselves and not the roux. Uh, you know you know marinara that's not really a tomato sauce per se um but you kind of get the idea i mean the tomato sauces we make today are, are going to be different than what they did in escoffier's time um and uh but what's kind of cool is you can take a tomato sauce and make a couple different sauces from it uh one of them is called a creole sauce and uh basically you just add in uh so the uh what we call the holy trinity which is onions celery and green pepper Right, that's the mirepoix that they they use down south. Little garlic, little hot sauce, and you come up with a Creole sauce, which could go great with a lot of different things, um, you know. Or you could do a Sp- another one we call Spanish sauce. That's where you add in mushrooms and olives to the Creole sauce. So some some different options there. All right, and then the last one I'm going to talk about is probably the most challenging uh, for students uh, to make in the kitchen. Um, this one here there really is no liquid and thickener per se Uh, what we're going to be making here with hollandaise is called an emulsification and hollandaise um, is probably my favorite sauce to make um, probably besides demi-glace and absolutely love the flavor of hollandaise so hollandaise is really two components it's egg yolks and you're going to emulsify butter, whether some people use clarified, which is where the milk solids and the water have been removed, or some people just melt butter down and add it in, but you're going to emulsify butter into your egg yolks. The classic version, when, it, when it's made, you actually reduce down uh, an acid with some peppercorns, uh, could be white wine vinegar or something like that. Uh, And then you, that's like a base to the hollandaise. And then you begin, you add that into uh, the egg yolks and then you begin to add the clarified butter into it. This one's tricky because if your butter is too hot and you go to add it into the egg yolks, it can break. Um, You also are supposed to cook the egg yolks slightly. Uh, You basically cook them over like a water bath for a little bit until uh, till they start to thicken up, get a little bit creamy, um, and then you add your butter into that cooked egg yolk along with the, the vinegar that's been uh, strained of the peppercorns. Um, if you don't do it in a place where it's a little bit warm, it's real cold, your hollandaise uh, can solidify on you and then break when you try to warm it up again. Um, A lot of things can go wrong if you don't know what you're doing. Of course, there's so many videos on YouTube now you can go on there and watch somebody make it. Um, But a lot of times in culinary school, I would do the demo to show them how to do it. And then the students would, you know, have to go and do it after me. And even after the demo and tasting it, they still will come across challenges. It's definitely not the easiest sauce to make, but it is definitely one of the best, no doubt about it. Um, And hollandaise is another one that goes way back, you know, uh, even uh, to Karem's time. Um, Another one that comes from hollandaise is called Bernays, and this is basically hollandaise, but what they add into it is tarragon. Okay, traditionally you make it with tarragon vinegar as your reduction, and, and then you make the hollandaise and you add in chopped up tarragon. And depending on which chef you talk to, they may even say that could be, Technically cl- classified as a separate leading sauce, okay. But in culinary school, that's not what we teach. But I, I understand the viewpoint there. So bearnaise is a very very popular uh, sauce. If you look at classic cookbooks as well, um, you know, and and from hollandaise, there's different things you can add into it and make different small sauces. Um, you know, you could add in uh, saffron uh, to hollandaise, and you have what we call grimrod sauce, or you could add in uh, blood orange juice. Zest and you have Maltese sauce. And another popular one uh, is called mousseline. And uh, this is basically where you take your hollandaise and you add in some whipped cream, no sugar, just whipped up cream. You fold that into the hollandaise. And then what you do is you take that mousseline and you put it over maybe a piece of salmon or a piece of chicken. It's very it's very, very thick. Right? And then what you do is you put that underneath a broiler. Or a salamander, we you know, in, in the kitchen, we have the commercial kitchen, we have salamanders, or it's basically a broiler, okay. And what and what what we call that is a glossage, and that's like a basically like a coating that goes over the top. And what happens is you get this really nice brown kind of almost like a crust, and it's all bubbling, and it, it's really really nice. It's a great way to add moisture and uh, a nice color uh, to your final product, okay. so. Um, those are the five mother sauces that we went over. Remember Beth V, bechamel, espagnole, tomato, hollandaise, velouté. Um, other sauces that we might find um, in the kitchen, a very popular one is called beurre blanc. This is also an emulsification where we take some shallot, some white wine, uh, maybe some fresh thyme and reduce down the white wine. And then basically, what you do is pretty much turn the flame off and you add in pats of butter and you're whisking all the time. And you create emulsification of butter into that white wine. Amazing sauce, very good, very temperamental, but very, very good. Uh, goes great with a lot of different things, um, really nice with fish chicken, you know, whatever. I mean, the, the, it's pretty universal. And you can do it with white wine. We call that beurre blanc, or you could do it with red wine. That's a, called a beurre rouge. All right. Um, so um, there's many other sauces uh, that, you know, that we might use in the kitchen. But today I just kind of wanted to go over the five leading sauces or mother sauces. Um, always, a, always fun to talk about, you know, these basics of, of cooking. Um, so... You know, if there's anything you want to hear, any topics, please leave me a comment so uh, I can do a little bit of research and probably be on my next podcast. All right, so I just want to thank you guys for tuning in uh, to this week's podcast on the five leading sauces or mother sauces, and uh, stay tuned. I've got, got the next podcast coming up real soon.